another episode of You and I for the Kenai. As always, I'm with Eric and Cobrin, and today we got another uh, special guest to share a story with us. Um, Billy, Billy, how's it going today? Doing good, man. Good. Rushed over here from my meeting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you said you had a home group meeting just yeah. now. Yeah. Yep. Nice, man. That's awesome. Uh, just to get us started, Billy, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, I'm Billy. I'm alcoholic, obviously, <laughs> and um, I grew up in a village called Kipnuk, and living in an isolated village and growing up. How I grew up is crazy. Like I grew up in three different villages: Tiforne, Kipnuk, and Kong. And first four years of my life, I kind of grew up fast. Mom was drinking, everyone was drinking, all that, and. Yeah, I was uh, molested as a kid and abused. Yeah, it's crazy how looking back at it and how I can tell my story without even feeling guilty about it anymore. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, at the age of four, I had my first beverage, and I was like, Mom, I want a soda. <laughs> yeah. I just want a soda, Mom. And they were just partying, just playing cards, and like, oh, I'll get one. And I don't know how a beer looked like, so I know what a can looked like, and I thought it was a soda. And I tasted it, and I was like, oh, that's a weird taste. Yeah. But I felt that warm feeling that went up from my stomach and to my head and made me clear, a lot clearer. Because at the age of four, I started feeling feeling things I'm not supposed to feel mm-hmm. at the age of four. And um, I remember just drinking that beer. just like, wow, I'm, I feel normal. Mm-hmm. I like, started drinking it, got three more. Or at least what you thought normal it, should feel like. Yeah. yeah. And I gave one to my older brother. And my brother didn't want his, and I drank it. And I blacked out. And... I don't know, just my mom told me I was smiling on the bed. <laughs> and from there on, my mom started drinking heavily and she got, we got taken away from yeah. OCS. And a little back up a little bit, when I was eight months old, I burned when I was a baby. Yeah, yeah I, have, I had a lot of skin grafts all through my high school and middle school. Growing up, because I burned and I thought I was different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it made me feel different. Yeah. Because uh, I remember seeing these kids with like normal feet and mm-hmm. normal legs and they weren't burnt, no scars on them. Yeah. And I was just, I always, I always used to use jeans all the time. I can use trunks right now. I'm comfortable for who I am right now. Yeah. And, but at the time I was felt different and I had a lot of skin graft surgeries and a lot of pain meds. I can't believe I didn't get into drugs because of, I had a lot of pain, pain, pain meds in my life. Mm-hmm. From there on, I, First, when I turned five, I think I remember my uh, OCS, man, they scarred me for life, traumatized. I remember I, my mom was in Bethel, and my mom and my stepdad were in Bethel, and they brought me along. And they left me at the playground by the hospital, and they were going out to the hotel. I forgot what hotel was it then. It was by the school, Kilbuck, by Kilbuck School, and they were going to this hotel. They told me to wait for them at the playground. I was waiting for hours. And I remember these two white people just, my mom t- taught me at the young age, don't talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. And they were strangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, they were talking to me, you want to follow me, son? I was like, no, no, I'm just playing outside. And I started running away and they started running after me and they just took me, brought me to the car and I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And uh, I was so scared, and uh, they brought me to the office, and uh, they calmed me down, watch, let me watch cartoon, and that was that's what scared me and traumatized me. And 
I remember go, they brought me to an orphanage in Bethel, and I was there for about a couple months. I remember crying every day, wanting my mom, just wanting my mom. Yeah. And after two months, my brother, where he was staying, at the foster parents, he was there, and they picked me up, and I see my brother, and I was so happy to see him, mm -hmm. real happy. I just hugged him, and I don't know, it felt a little bit complete. A little yeah. bit complete, and they're like, my brother's here, I'll be good. But where we went to, and the foster parents, they were old, really old, and I kind of a little abusive. Yeah. We didn't eat, at much, eat as much as, like, barely ate, I remember. I remember when I was, I was in kindergarten, I was really hungry. Just one night, ten, I was just crying and crying. They were like, shut up, we're trying to sleep. I was just crying, and they finally gave me a small bowl of native food soup, and I just ate, ate, and I was still hungry. And at, and then I told my auntie about it, and she took us in. She took me and my brother in, and that was one of the awesome moments in my life, I remember. But I still wanted my mom, even if I was, even if I was with family. My mom was still stuck with her disease, and... With my stepdad, oh my goodness, man, I was, he, he used to beat her all the time. Yeah. And growing up, from, I was in kindergarten, five years old, six years old, and then going. After a couple of months, they were, they were maintaining, like they're drinking, my mom and them, and OCS said, you can give them back. And we went to my mom and my stepdad, and they relapsed, and they, my dad, my stepdad was starting to beat my mom. Almost every day, drinking. Me, my, I remember me and my brother were crying all the time. And How old are you at this point? Five and six. Five and six. And wow. just growing up in an abusive family and going to school at the same time just felt like I would grow up like, like a bad family. Yeah. Grew up like a, like I'm, I think I'm in the wrong family, like that feeling. Mm -hmm. and I started then, at a pretty young age. Yeah, and then... Just feeling like you don't belong, more or less. Yeah, yeah. just two months after, get, after two months after they got us back, well, our auntie took us back. Yeah. yeah. But I remember my baby brother was born, the half brother. I was happy too seeing him, just being happy to see him. It's like I got a little brother. Yeah, I'm not the baby anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were still abusive, drinking at the same time. Yeah. I remember my mom brought him into the room where there was. They were obviously smoking weed in there. I remember he was crying really bad. And one time, they were being so loud and breaking plates everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I remember me and my brother just getting my baby brother ready, just in a blanket. It was raining and it was really windy outside, and we walked to our grandmother's house. And six my, years yeah, and my yeah. brother was eight, and I was six, and my baby brother was crying, and it was raining really bad, and just looking at, oh, we knocked at our grandmother's house for about ten minutes, and it was like, oh my God, what are you doing outside in the rain? We went inside, I was crying, and I told them our mom was drinking, and that's when they took us back. Yeah. And we stayed with my auntie ever since, and my auntie became real close. I mean, her, we became really close. I consider her as my mom. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. she passed away last year, February 21, from cancer. Okay. Sorry to it's, hear that. Yeah, it's all good. And I felt a little complete still, mm -hmm. but I still had that feel I came back, come back from a broken family. Yeah. yeah. 
and I was going through school and all that, and I was fighting ever since first grade, and just for someone stealing my pencil. I'm going to fight you. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just fought and fought and fought until I went to seventh grade, and I found weed. Oh, miracle. <laughs> and I got my free, my stuff free, okay? <laughs> I got my free because my cousin was a dealer, and yeah. every day I get like 50 bucks for this big. It's like that big, it's like, but I got it for free though. <laughs> yeah. And I just smoked, started smoking weed, and I felt a little... Were you living in Bethel at this? Kipnick. Kipnick. It's, like, okay, it's yeah. like, he knows it's like 50 miles west of Bethel. It's like near the coast. Okay. And I'd see my, every, when I was still in with my mom, I'd see my mom and them still drinking, and my mom would see me. I'd still be happy to see her even if she was drunk, and I, I remember telling myself I wasn't going to be an alcoholic like her. Growing up, yeah, I just had a lot of surgery, skin grafts, and I... Just, yeah, just loud. I felt different because I had these scars on me. Mm -hmm. And after seventh grade from basketball and became a star right away. Mm -hmm. And even smoking weed, I was just bringing weed to the other villages. Yo, the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, just played basketball. And ninth grade, oh, you know, back up eighth grade, my grandmother passed away, my mom's mom. And that little took a little piece out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Every family member that passed away, that piece that's disappeared. Right. And I started being very passive. Yeah, just mostly building it up. And then I went to college after graduating and dislocated a lot from sports. Yeah. It just reminds me of my addiction. Just listen to doctors saying to stop drinking, but with my stop playing stop playing basketball and let your shoulder heal. Two weeks, and uh, after two weeks, I'd be playing basketball again, and I dislocated like 25 times. And from that dislocation, you know, the socket, it carved out the bottom, and I had to have surgery done, so it's all healthy again. But after graduating, I remember I met my ex-girlfriend at the girlfriend at the time, and we were dating for three years, and she caught me smoking weed. It's like, if you keep smoking weed, we're done. So mm -hmm. I curled turkey, cold turkey. And I substituted with alcohol. Mm. Yeah, my best friend, yeah, he peer pressured me. Yeah, yeah and sure. like, here, here, come on, here, have some, have some. Like, f it, I'll have one. You were telling it like uh, you were telling us earlier, it's like on your twenty first birthday. Too, yeah, right? like, mm -hmm. yeah, we were playing King's Cup, and I like, I'll have my tea. I'll have only my tea. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that peer pressure finally came, gave in, and I just have a shot. And I felt that feeling. I felt when I was four years old. I was like, whoa, that feeling is back. Let's try another shot, see how that makes me feel. Mm -hmm. And I started getting more, a lot drunker. I remember just walking into the bathroom. It was in the, my my ex-girlfriend's ex uh, college dorm, and I looked in the bathroom. I was like, holy cow. Looking at myself, smiling, felt normal again. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never stopping this. I remember that saying that. And then three years, fast forward, um, I was doing, I was a functional drinker. They say functional drinker. Oh, every, I like the air quotes. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just drinking only when I had time or sometimes all the time. Uh, it was only on the weekends. Sure. And only when I didn't have any homework and then 
my ex-girlfriend cheated on me and I thought it was end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> that end of the world feeling and yeah. after she cheated on me, I didn't, I was like, well, we're done. Because yeah. I knew when a girl cheats, they'll do it again. Mm -hmm. Or, or to, either way, guy does that or something. But right. And I remember after that, I, my grades were starting to go down. I started drinking during the weekdays and mm -hmm. during cl after class and barely passed my third year. Really? Yeah. Just yeah. C's and B's and all that. And uh, I had a feeling like if I move away from her, I probably won't drink as much. Mm -hmm. And I went to Anchorage. You, I was going to UAF at, the at first and I went to UAA. And then somehow she found out I was going to UAA, like like she stalked me or something. <laughs> and then I, I, I at first I was doing good for the first month until I seen her. I was like, oh, I see my ex girlfriend. So I'm like, oh, the world's ending. Ah, oh, just being self pity and all that. Sure. Still hurts. Yeah, I had my own apartment at the time, and and I just withdraw my classes and just partied only. Just really? drank every day. What had you been studying? Applied business. Okay. I just needed about probably 16 more credits and I'll yeah. be done. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so you're on the brink of graduation. Yeah. You're battling these kind of, these ex-girlfriends, mm -hmm. this ex-girlfriend trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, and your childhood stuff, I imagine, still kind of yeah. sticking with you. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's, that's still baggage. You're carrying mm -hmm. all this baggage. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's kind of surprising you hadn't dived in earlier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you're still... Function. There was like yeah, a, man, you yeah. functioned. I mean, yeah, for a long. It mm -hmm. sounds like you, you know, you're mm -hmm. saying like I barely passed my third year, but like mm -hmm. given all the things that Aaron just talked about, you mm -hmm. know, like to even go all the way through your third year, you mm -hmm. know, even like some of the most like healthy put together air quotes individuals mm -hmm. have a hard time getting through their, you know, their yeah. that far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, it sounds like although it was challenging you are still getting some stuff done mm -hmm. yeah well, you know? i feel like we're about to hit a straw that broke the camel's back here sure mm -hmm. i mean you saw her mm -hmm. so she had moved there you think mm -hmm. and yeah and you were like i'm done with school I, yeah i just want to drink yeah i just want to drink yeah yeah so that was starting to affect my life too family members start seeing it and they did yeah like, you got to slow down drinking. And my mom, when she was alive at the time, then she got cancer. And I was like, I'm going to lose my mom. Oh, no. Started drinking heavily, really heavily. And I got evicted from my first apartment after four months. Like, you got to leave. And only place I could go to was my hometown was to sober up only. Only time I would, I would go to my hometown was to stay, get sober. Really? Yeah. Just to go over there and... Um, Every time I'd felt a lot better and I'd move back to Anchorage and I got another apartment, I got evicted from that. At four months, I couldn't even keep an apartment. Because you, you would start drinking again? Yeah, just throwing big parties and all that. Yeah. yeah. Every time I woke up, I was like, I need that drink. I need that drink. And I was getting starting to go to the emergency room a lot at A&MC and started just just get the shakes getting away. And Really? Yeah, uh, and to get that shot, I don't know what it's called, but I used to go there just to get the shakes away. And and then uh, my first treatment, it wasn't a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. It was a shikshadal over in Washington. Okay. It's a, what, erosion, erosion treatment, I don't know, it's where they 
force you not to oh, like. Oh, aversion. Yeah, aversion. Yeah, aversion treatment. Yeah. And when I went there, it was a two two week program. Yeah. Wow. What was that like? Oh, it was horrible. Miserable. Miserable. Uh, not miserable, but horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Torture. Like they have this room where they make you puke, called the Duffy room. Make you puke? Yeah. Yeah. So so so, so yeah. They yeah, create so, it to where it's really aversive, or mm-hmm. you know, like totally not what you want, uh-huh. super negative, uh-huh. uh, super challenging. Yeah. But challenging isn't the right word. It's just simply aversive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's not pleasurable. It's yes. discomforting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what they do, right, is they, they have you drink like your favorite drink, mm-hmm. and but they also but have like you they take, give, they like, give you something that makes you throw up. Yeah. So then mm-hmm. you the, the idea behind it is that like, you associate being so sick yeah, with this drink. drink. You're like, like I do this, this happens. Yeah. And, like, and the next day after the Duffy Room, they used Perforol, what Michael Jackson died from. Whoa. And being wow. a professional blackout drinker, um, I manipulated that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, they were like, "Did you really say this?" Like, yeah, I said that. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy. And two weeks, I was there, and uh, just. Two days away from that place, I relapsed. Yeah. It was my birthday. I had to celebrate <laughs> yeah. with my best friend. And I was binging for about a week, and I went home and just to sober up. And then I started drinking at my hometown in a bottle over there for a fifth of R&R's 250 to 300 yeah. And the good like the Grey Goose and stuff, five to $600. Wow. And that didn't stop me to drink. I just bought everything that they had. And when it was dry in wintertime, no, no booze anymore, I'd drive to the next village just to get another bottle. Mm-hmm. And that went on for a long time until my mom passed away and my uncle passed. I lost 12 family members last year. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and I was a... using their death as an excuse yeah. to drink. And the one that most mostly hit me was my mom and my uncle. Because my uncle, he taught me guitar and... I've been playing guitar since I was six, and I don't know. They were the, they most meant something, and I used their death as excuse. And I went went here to this place, Serenity House, for treatment. And I thought it was my low bottom. I thought in Jan- July fourth. Mm-hmm. I remember drinking. I had a I had a R and R bottle on my left and a twenty two Magnum on my right, and I Russian roulette it three times, took a shot, pulled the trigger, nothing happened, spin it again, took a shot, pulled the trigger, and on the last one, I was going to pull the trigger first, and I instead of it, took a shot, and I looked at my dog, it was down, she was down there, and she was looking at me like, what are you doing, what are you, what are you doing kind of face, and I didn't do it, and I looked at the bullet, was in the chamber, if I pulled the trigger, I'd be gone right now. Yeah. And I thought that I thought that was my bottom. But when I came to the Serenity House here, and I didn't really want to quit drinking. I just yeah. want to learn how to function, yeah. <laughs> become a functional drinker, and yeah. be able to drink at the same time. But kind of progress enough yeah. to regress. Yeah, and the application it said um, thirty days you can leave, and <laughs> that's not true. You got to finish step one, two, and three. I was still on step one after 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
I was I really wanted to get out of there, so I just rushed to the packets of step one, two, and three, and I got I I was stayed another forty more days, and I left, and I white knuckled it, and got, I got a sponsor, and I wasn't honest. You weren't honest. Really honest. On you weren't honest. Mm-mm. Okay. I still wanted to drink, mm-hmm. and when things didn't go my way, I'd go for the bottle. So really? things weren't going my way, so I went for the bottle. November eleven, my mom's birthday came up, and I relapsed, and that was a a month binge and I got my first DUI on the 3rd of December last year December and got arrested went to jail I couldn't handle jail for a day it's like oh let me out of here mm-hmm. and uh got out I was hung over and withdrawing and I went went home to my hometown and went and they were saying you can come back to the house to the Sunday house and you gotta go to the detox first and I it was on the like the 11th of December and uh, I was in Bethel and I stayed there for two weeks until New Year's and I binged there and I remember 31st was my last drink and my new clean date is 1118 January 1 2018 I remember on the 1st of January I remember just after partying I was gonna go call my family no one answered no one didn't want to do anything with me Really? Yeah. yeah. And then even my family in Bethel didn't want to do anything. Even my college buddies who I went to college with, they didn't let me stay at their house, too. I remember outside in the cold, uh, I was basically homeless. Like, yeah. no money, no nothing. And somehow I ripped my sole off my shoe. <laughs> I was walking around flapping, <laughs> flapping around. And I was questioning life, sitting down in the cold in wintertime at questioning God, God, why this go? Why did you do this? And I came to realize I experienced step one there, that I am powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable. And I was like, yo, God, it's time for you to take over now. The only place I could go to was this guy who was still drinking. So I just slipped on his couch and he was trying to offer me drinks. I was like, no, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wow. came here and I was in detox for a week. And... I remember on the fifth day in detox, I had to tremble, just shake, tremors, and I, my mind was everywhere. And on the fifth day, I was like crying, and I was like, God, please show me the way. Have someone show me. And then the next day, I, I got a call from my counselor who used to work here. She was like, I found four treatment places for you. <laughs> I was like, thank you, God. Yeah. And then there was Washington, California, Minnesota, and Phoenix, and Phoenix caught my eye. And there's a native traditional treatment over there. There were sweat lodges over there. And I went over there for 45 days, and I got a sponsor on, the, like, the second week. And he came in, and I, I heard his story. I got something in his story. He was like, wow, I, I need to get this guy's number. And then, and uh, I didn't even ask him to be my sponsor. And he was like, I want you to read Doctor's Opinion, Chapter 1 through 4, and 10 Reasons to Stay Sober. I was like, okay. In my mind, I was like, I didn't make you, ask you to be my sponsor. <laughs> and then uh, I sat on for a week, and I remember the story. I, I read about a book they gave me here, uh, 12 Step of Grief. Uh, I remember there was a story in there where this, where this guy was on a roof, and it was flooding. And it was like, God, save me. Come on, save me. You can save me. You're almighty. And uh, he, the, helicopter, the helicopter came. We'll save you here. 
And he was like, no, go away. God can save me. Then a boat comes. No, yeah. we'll save you. Yeah. Like, go away. A boat. Uh, God, God can save, save me. me. And then he dies and he goes to heaven. He's like, why did you save me? I sent a boat and a God helicopter to you. What else do you want? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I got to make this guy my sponsor. And he was a heroin addict and I'm an alcoholic. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, heroin or anything. It's all the same disease. And we went through step one and two and... I finally got it after four and five, step four and five. Yeah. I remember going through my four step, telling him, but I still had some 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 of the things I kept to myself. I was going to keep to the grave, all while the I was telling emotions. So. Yeah, yeah. All, like the, all the dark I had done. Like, mm -hmm. and I remember telling my four step, and we went to the fifth step, and he was like, "You got anything you're hiding? You want to tell me?" He was like, I was going to lie to him. My alcoholic, alcoholic mind was going to tell him to tell me to lie, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, God, let me be honest. And I was quiet for 15 seconds. No word was coming out until I finally told the truth. Everything that was keeping me feel guilty and shameful, and I told him everything I've done, every dark I've done, and I was crying while I was telling him, and I was just crying, and he started crying. And a crazy thing happened was it was a calm day in Arizona and a breeze went between my sponsor. And it was like, and he was like, that's God. <laughs> and that's when I had my spiritual awakening. And I meditated for an hour. He told me to do that, to go to a room. And I prayed and I was reflecting my fourth step in my life. And, and then I slept and I woke up the next day and I was like, wow, this world didn't revolve around me anymore. I was like, your problem is not my problem, it's your problem. So like, yeah, life is good. And I got to six, seven, eight, nine, and anyway, the steps and found out about my character defects. And I work still, still to this day, I work on my character defects. I catch them while I, even if when I drive, I'm like, oh, take it away, God. And yeah, these defects are going to be a lifelong work. So, and these amends I gotta make, I made my amends, there's a notepad of thick amends I gotta make, over 40 people I gotta say sorry to. That's and, gotta be tough, man. And I made five of them so far. Yeah. So the, some amends I can make, cause it's in the, in the big book it says you can't, some amends you can't make. Mm -hmm. If they're happy, don't make the amends if they're happy. Give it to God. Some amends I give to God. And yeah, isn't it kinda like if it would, like actually cause them more harm yeah, more yeah. damage mm -hmm, that, then yeah. you just gotta mm -hmm. just like, let them be I mean yeah. make it yeah to your higher power just, just make a living amends okay. right there just do what you're doing right now what but if I'm, there's like amends like if but if there are men amends that will um make their life better or mm -hmm. more peaceful then it's kind of your responsibility to uh -huh. do that yeah okay made my first amends to my dad when yeah. he went to Arizona and it was an awesome moment. Uh, I told him my side of the story and how I hurt him, and was like, "What can I do to fix it, Dad? Keep doing what you're doing, son." Mm -hmm. yeah. But one of my favorite amends was to my grandmother. Like I remember coming back from Arizona, was like I'm going home, and my sponsor was like, "Oh, hold on, settle down first, settle down for a bit, take time for yourself." And I did that, and I got a call about a month later that my grandma is, don't have doesn't have enough time. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, there, my, my sponsor is, I need to go, I need to go right now. So I brought someone along with me in the program. Yeah, that seems a good choice. Yeah, yeah, I did that. and that could we have been hard. Mm -hmm. And I did. It probably was. I remember going to my hometown, she, 
she can't show emotion anymore. She can't speak anymore. And I remember on the last day I was there, she was smiling at me. That's like, she came back alive. I can see it by her eyes. She couldn't talk or show emotion, but I can see it through her eyes. And I got to make amends in my own language. And she was happy, and I was like, I'll see you someday. And what is your what is your language? Yupik. Okay. And I told her I'll see her someday, and I left that day, and the next day she passed away. Yeah. Like she was waiting for me. Yeah. To say goodbye, and that was one of my that that'll be to this day my favorite amends. Yeah. And yeah, it's just right now I'm just living the life right now, just being sober. Got two helping people go through these steps and two sponsees, and before this. Uh, I was in my meeting before this uh, podcast. I was like, I got my meetings come first before anything. Yeah, and I got I got to hear good things at that meeting today. Really, like, real good things. Yeah, and still to this day, even if I have six months, I'm learning. Yeah. even if I read the book, I'm still learning. It's like, oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. So it's a this recovery thing is going to be a life thing. Yeah. It's basically growing up. Taught yeah. me how to be responsible. How how to be good to people. And got an apartment right now, right. so moving closer into town. Right now, where I'm living is there's two alcoholics, and they get clients that drink and they party. It's crazy. I never been that been around that much alcohol since I relapsed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. got to be hard. Yeah, it's like oh, pause when agitated, and I just phone make phone calls, yeah. phone calls when I'm struggling. Every day I wake up and I just give my will to God. That's the one thing you got to do in these programs. You got to find a higher power mm -hmm. that's greater than you. It doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't have to be God. It can be Buddha, anything, a doorknob. I wouldn't suggest that. But like some people in these programs, they have struggled with a God, so God thing. I had a problem with it, and I I remember hearing a woman who came into a treatment place when I was in Arizona. She said, "Fire the God you have and hire a new one," and I did that. It's been good. I, I have the same God, but it's not the God I had before. The God I had before was a punishing God, wrathful God. If you do this, you'll go to hell. So I have a forgiving God right now, and he's good. And I got rebaptized, reconnected with my faith again. And Yeah, it's been awesome right now. Been life has been doing good, and I sing a lot, so yeah. I, I, I'm awesome. starting to write songs now again. Nice. Right. So playing yeah. guitar? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been singing for... Is that a, <clears throat> we've actually heard a lot, a lot of similarity in that aspect too. People finding a way to kind of express, like you said before, when you were a kid, you know, you had a lot of repressed emotions, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of things you don't yeah. want to tell somebody built up here. And I would only imagine, you know, you kind of touch on some of that, not necessarily mm -hmm. the details, but the emotions in your music. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people we've talked to, it's been art. It's been like, mm -hmm. the last lady yeah. we talked to was acrylic painting, you know, just. Mm -hmm. Whatever you can do, it seems like that expression is so yeah. important, being able to express yeah. yourself and be honest with yourself through whether it be music or art yeah. or, you know, writing or just yeah. whatever your mm -hmm. whatever your escape is, you're replacing that vice of alcohol or drugs with a really truthful, mm -hmm. more pure um, expression, mm -hmm. something to kind of Throw, actually throw your struggles mm -hmm. out onto something, into somewhere, make them tangible yeah. versus just trying to cover it up and hide yeah. it or just to mask it more or less. Mm -hmm. 
Because like when I started drinking, I started getting these writer's block in my head. Like mm. I can't stop. Like I can't write anything no more. Uh, like oh, I can't write anything more. I just started drinking and mm-hmm. all that. And right now I just I'm working on a song what I wrote in Arizona. It's part of my tenth step, and it's about my deadbeat dad. Yeah. My dad wasn't that wasn't there, and it's, it's a work in progress. My first song I ever wrote was in. <laughs> I had a high school sweetheart, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she didn't want to go college, and I went to college, and we kind of grew apart yeah. after going to college. And I still love her; we're best friends right now. And she heard that song; she cr- cried when she heard it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just something special. Yeah. I still keep; I still sing it to this day. And so there's some songs. Some people, <laughs> when they ask me, like, "Can you play this song? Can you play that song? Can you?" It's like I don't, re- I don't learn <laughs> random songs. Right. Uh, I only play spoke on the water. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I only learn songs that mean something to me. Like yeah. that's why I know only like 20 songs right now. So right. I just learned something that catches my ears. Like, holy cow! I caught a message in that, so right. I learned that song. Yeah. Connectedness. Mm-hmm. So you talked about going to, uh, like kind of detox in different uh, states and what do you think was where was the the big difference between the times you tried it and the time that it really worked and it really stuck mm, like when I was in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, this is my third treatment yeah right. I, I, I already went to detox I was detox I went detox there I told you about that and mm-hmm. but what, was, what was different about that what was different about Arizona I uh, just finding other understanding when I went was when I read the book the AA book mm-hmm. I read it here and I didn't actually read it right and I was just like oh I read it already skimmed it more yeah yeah, yeah I skimmed yeah. it and then when I went to Arizona I had 45 days and I was just reading it and when I was actually reading it I started understanding mm-hmm. it's like whoa it's like dang started seeing it and doctor's opinion learning about alcohol and Seeing if I have one drink, I know the phenomenon of craving will show up. And step two is I find a God. We agnostic page. The we agnostic page of Alcoholics Anonymous got my ear, eyes too and my heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know actually how it says, but it is. There's this part is why, why something questioning about God. Who are you to question? He is God. I'm like whoa. I started tearing up when I read that page. And I was over there, and I was pretty serious and desperate to find what can help me to stay happy. And I found it through AA. Yeah. So, like, that really serious commitment that you made. Because mm-hmm. that's what we hear a lot with these recovery stories, is that where people really make the difference is when they just, like, this time I'm going to fully commit. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take these steps and yeah, I'm gonna do like, the things that sound stupid to me, uh, but they really work. The gift the of desperation right there. Yeah. Right, yeah. We've heard that a lot, yeah. that phrase. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that. Um once you do, whether it be purposeful or whether it just, you know, happen on a snowy day with nowhere to go, like eventually after that, whoa, I can't handle this. My life is unmanageable. Once that like great recognition is made, then like that true progress mm-hmm. and work and um, actually really getting mm-hmm. kind of getting somewhere as possible because before you take that I can't do this anymore mm-hmm. step is there some amount of like 
control that you're still trying to grab onto that the program slash like your own health says to let go of? Because it mm-hmm. sounds like they say we're going to need you to let go of some of this um, control. Mm-hmm. But then before, unless you take that step and acknowledge that you can't control it, mm-hmm. there's still a part of you that's kind of like, eh, maybe I can. There are some days that's one of my character defects that kicks into self-will. and Really? There's some of it, but I, I have to know. I, I can't do it by my own, so I have to give it to my higher power. God, and that's so God. hard, you know. I I think about, like, part of this, like, letting go of this control and give it mm-hmm. up to, any, like you said, any form of higher power. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that is so key for so many people. But, like, especially, like, in the West, you know, that mm-hmm. whole, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that whole, like, mm-hmm. Robinson Crusoe, you know, abandoned on an island, but, like, by the time he's off, you know, he's got farms, he's got mm-hmm. structures, and people are like, that's because he had a will, like, he exercised mm-hmm. his will, he he got up in the morning and he said, I'm going to conquer today, mm-hmm. you know, some of that, like, although, like, people say, don't be so controlling, I feel like in the West, especially, mm-hmm. we really glorify control, mm-hmm. we glorify, like, getting up and like bending you know we say like we have bent steel and iron and mm-hmm. all these materials to our will and now we have railroads and now we have huge buildings and now we have all this infrastructure mm-hmm. because man has taken control and bent these things to our will so it's like mm-hmm. everything that we're taught as we grow up you're told like hey all those things that we glorify all those things that we praise this whole idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and mm-hmm. taking control that's actually, you're, we're going to need you to scrap all of that. Mm-hmm. That's hard. I mean, that has mm-hmm. been ingrained in people so, mm-hmm. so thoroughly. This is, I think it's just like making the right decision when that time comes. Like, Sure. Yeah, it's like, it's hard to explain. Kind of finding a balance between yeah. when you need to be, when mm-hmm. it is okay to be engaged. Yeah. And there are like very tangible things you can control versus the things mm-hmm. that you're like, are just bigger, you know, mm-hmm. just got a little bigger than you and your capabilities to yeah. make those kind of decisions or try to control that situation, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Yeah, yeah it's I, uh, interesting. Like, I know in a history class I took, there's a um, there's a philosopher, I think like 17th century, maybe 16th, um, kind of forget, but his uh, Hegel, it's like Hegelian dialectics, and part of it is like he, one of the major things he says is that like eventually like man has to like get a will pretty much and like part of it is like part of his example is napoleon you know he conquered the world well tried Mm -hmm. and you know he had a will and that's when you see things happen and like out of all that is like that self-will you know Mm and i mean for a long time now it's like it's like you better have a will and you better be like a self-will and you better be ready Mm -hmm. to work hard for that and if you're not then you don't fit these boxes that we have culturally made for you Mm -hmm. and then how hard is that you know i mean i i get stressed out about it even listening to these stories not in a bad way but i get Mm -hmm. stressed because it just like opposes everything that i've been taught you know right and i'm no i can't be the only one i mean that's a that's a that's a thing you know well and you have this kind of, I guess, stigma of if you ask for help, you're weak. Yeah. Like if you use the people mm-hmm. around you who are willing to help you out, then somehow you're worse off because you couldn't handle it on your own. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. It's yeah. just not true because people who are willing to help, they're just such a 
in all these stories mm-hmm. I hear, it's huge. The the people that are there to support, that are there to talk, a lot of these people come in to the lives of these people who are trying to get through recovery and really make sure they stay on track. And that's huge because mm-hmm. on your own, I mean, you you leave yourself alone long enough, you could probably justify anything, mm-hmm. you know, and just having that, I guess, uh, someone who really cares about you, mm-hmm. who has your best interest in mind and can look out for you. Yeah. I feel from a lot of the stuff we've listened to and a lot of people we've talked to that uh, in recovery, your sponsor is really big in that, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. <clears throat> trusting you, but also mm-hmm. holding you accountable yeah. and helping you find that balance between, all right, <laughs> yeah, and that's not something you can control. <laughs> Here's something you could control that might uh-huh. help affect like, the situation, like, the little things you can do. They give you, yeah, suggestions. Yeah. Like my that's er- what someone else said earlier. Suggest. Yeah. They're yes. going to They suggest. don't tell you what to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it was like, I'll suggest you this one. Like one of my Arizona sponsor, you know, I'm, I'm sh- I was shellfish as <laughs> and uh yeah he gave me a suggestion like when someone gives asks for a cigarette give him five i was like five really like, like you know it's a seven well, bucks a pack really <laughs> pay me five dollars yeah, uh-huh. yeah and then uh, and, and then it's just a suggestion i was like real pissed about it. I was like, give him five cigarettes like, so uh-huh. yeah. take that suggestion <laughs> I'll give you and five then, suggestions. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and, um, I started giving people five. It was like, when someone asked for a cigarette, can I have a cigarette? It was in Arizona. So, can I have a cigarette? It's like, here you go. It's like, I asked for one. It's like, oh, my sponsor told me to give me five. <laughs> so, for a month, I kept on doing that. On the first week and the second week, I was like, oh, here you go, here you go. And then, uh, after a month later, I was like, here you go, here you go. That selfish was getting away. Yeah. Here you go. It's like, and then I was like, Oh, these cigarettes are getting expensive. I'm going to get a vape. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a vape, and then people with vapes in the treatment place, right? so, can I have juice? Like, yeah, here you go, man. Here's five. Here's five. Yeah. <laughs> five. It's <laughs> getting expensive. <laughs> but, like, yeah, these suggestions can help a lot, man, if you put into it. And I got a recent suggestion, too. It's a <laughs> My sponsor was like, hey, Bob, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a dog. It's like, oh, no, no, hold on. Slow down. I want you to get a plant. I've heard that. Yeah, so I, I uh, and it was like a plant. Like, yeah, if you can raise a plant for a year, you can get a dog. So like, oh, I'll get a plant. So I got a plant right now I'm taking care of. It's been three weeks, and when I got it, it was all beat up. <laughs> <laughs> now it's looking a lot healthier, and yeah, it's this nice. new experience. And That's awesome. Oh, I talked with that plant, too. <laughs> yeah, because I hear that you can hear you and have feelings right. and stuff, so I just talked to that plant. It's crazy. Cut your aloe vera. <laughs> oh, give it a name. There is something yeah. spiritual about that, name? honestly. Have you named your pet? Not pa- plant? <laughs> pet. Your pet plant? <laughs> yeah. Have you named uh, your pet plant? <laughs> no, you know Take it on walks? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to name it, though, but I still talk to is it. Is that a boy yeah. or a girl? A thing, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, there I don't is something know. kind of spiritual with that. Nephew Zach. <laughs> hey, hey, Zach, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, just, just, I'll do that, yeah. Zach. Zach sounds like a good name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just going to work out. Yeah, it's just after a year I can get a dog. They, they say, like, raise a plant for a year, then get a dog. If you can take a dog for a year, you can get a girlfriend. So I don't know about that, though, but... <laughs> yeah. But I'm doing like waiting until I have a year until I get into a relationship thing. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good. But I don't feel like I need a relationship right now. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
You and your plant are growing together right now. Yeah, yeah. That's your, is that probably your focus right now, you think? Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. just... Focusing on me and that plant right now. Yeah. yeah. Finding God's will every day. Sure. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know if I go, if I do my will, I'm going to end up where I was. Yeah. Because right now, just every problem I got is like, God, take it over. For he, he, he answers prayers, and it's crazy how he answers prayers. I remember when I, before I got my first sponsee, I was like two weeks prior, and I was like, God, if you want me to have a sponsee, let it happen. Two weeks later, this kid, he's 18 years old, and he's at the Serenity House, and he asked me to be his sponsor. I was like, holy God, it's happening. Oh, God, it's happening. Holy he shit. He the helicopter. Yeah, holy <laughs> And I called my sponsor, like, Bob, I'm getting a sponsor. I couldn't say no. I was like, oh, yeah, see, the prayers are as powerful. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, dang. And we're, now we're on step four, and he's getting pissed right now. <laughs> step four, like, good, good. Accept those feelings. Take a bath. He's doing good right now. Good. Not on, good on calling, though, but he's doing good. <laughs> yeah. How You ask him to call every day? Daily, yeah. How yeah. often does he call? Not, not daily? We'll just leave it nah, at that. Yeah, yeah. Just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's up to him though. That's what I, I was taught in this program. You can't save anyone. They have to do it for themselves. That's what I had to experience for myself. I have to want it. If you put uh, seventy-five percent of it, you're gonna get seventy-five percent of it. It's not that enough. You gotta put one hundred ten percent of it. And, yeah. yeah. This sounds hard though. You know, I mean, I'm not saying like. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to sound silly, like, but like all this. Like, oh, this is, you know, you say like, oh, I just got to give 110%. Oh, I just have to give up control. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have to give up my self-will. I'm like sweating over here, man. <laughs> like, no, for real. Like, that all sounds stinking hard, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, like how, how many... Like, hearing that. Uh -huh. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you ever have that make a plan? <sighs> like, make a plan and it doesn't go your way and get you get pissed? Every yeah. day. Yeah. Every yeah. Day. <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh, That's why I'm sweating, will. man. That's why I'm sweating over here. Yeah, it's just like having that like, higher... I make a plan every day. I mean, it, I get mad at the plan mm -hmm. every day, but, like, you're telling me don't make a plan. I know you're not saying, like, don't make a plan at all. Yeah, I, I mean, there's saying. some plans, like, no, you I can make it. with friends. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I get, yeah. Then, like, I had a plan with my buddy. Pick me up at 8. I was like, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And every day, I be every time I wake up, I'd be like, all right, God, what's your plan for today? Mm -hmm. And things pop up out of nowhere. That's such a huge theme on a lot of the stories is that letting go of things that are outside of your control, mm -hmm. just um, it's huge. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that is the big theme, you know, mm -hmm. letting go. And for a lot of people, you know, in this, whatever your higher power is, I mean, we're, mm -hmm. I'm going to call it, I'm going to use this old phrase, you know, I'm pretty sure it's a biblical phrase. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Let, let go and let God. Uh, we you know, use whatever, that all the time. Yeah, yeah, whatever your higher power is, whether you're letting go and letting Buddha or mm -hmm. whether you're letting yeah. go and letting God, just being able to let go, freely express yourself and just release that mm -hmm. baggage, man, just to let drop your bags at the mm -hmm. door. Come into the, literally, <laughs> Serenity Intake Office mm -hmm. here on Binkley Street, not Brinkley. Binkley Street. Yeah. <laughs> literally, literally come drop your baggage at the door. Uh, get help. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It's not weakness. There, that stigma's overused, mm -hmm. overdone. It's garbage. It's garbage. Mm -hmm. Come here, let go, 
Let all your baggage out. Meet some pretty awesome dudes like Zach and Billy, the guys we've been talking to today, man. Pretty sweet dudes. Mm -hmm. Good guys to hang around. Get into your groups, you know, get into your program and let these guys help you. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're ready and willing, this is the place to be. Yeah, the first step is so hard, but it's so important Mm because once you get on that track, it really opens the door for for the recovery. Yeah, I think they'll have to experience that first step. Yeah, that oh, first sure. step I had to experience myself too. For sure, absolutely. Like if you're, if you're struggling out there, there's these rooms in here out here, the AA and NA, and you could. I suggest you get a sponsor and do the steps. Yeah. And All right. Thank you very much, Billy. Um, it was awesome talking to you, man. Right. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me here. Yep. This was Eric, Aaron, and Coburn, and we are you and I for the Kenai. Thanks again for listening.